Good evening. You have to say hi to me or you're going to give me a complex. Good evening. Oh, that's better. That's better. <laughs> that's kind of scary that it would give me a complex, right? right? Well, thanks for coming to the house of the Lord on Good Friday. Um, this service is always, for me personally, deeply meaningful, but I have real mixed feelings about it because, you know, there's a somber aspect to it and there's a graphic aspect to it that frankly chafe my soul. Um, but I'm really grateful for it. I'm not, not for the service, but I'm really grateful for what it represents. And I suppose those feelings are... Um, uh, they're probably common out there among the group. But I, I want to, before we, be, before we launch into our service, I first off, I want to say thank you for being in the house of the Lord. And the second thing is I just want to just take a second and remind you, come back to church on Sunday, okay? It's Easter. It's a big deal in the church, the big holiday. It's called Easter. So we have two services Sunday, one at 930 and one at 1115. There'll be about an hour. And I, I, I promise you that I practiced today. I actually practiced the whole sermon standing in my office at home with a, pulp, with a, with a music stand and, and my notes. And I did it out loud and I timed it with a stopwatch. 29 minutes. Woo! 29 minutes. And, you know, in laying out the service, Eric gave me 30. Wow. So I feel like I, I, wow. I can cut back and really go. So it'll be an hour service. And I, I really believe that the Holy Spirit plans to do a harvest to plans to, to share the gospel in a loving way with people that uh, would be here and be able to hear it. So if you have any thought or leaning to inviting somebody, saying, hey, come with me to church, it's a great opportunity because a lot of people will come on Easter just if they're asked. And they, may, they only go twice a year, Easter and Christmas, and, or maybe even not those both. So I encourage you to do that. Um, I also want to say one other thing about tonight. I'm going to spend a few minutes, not a lot of time, about the graphic aspects of what happened for about six or eight hours before, not I'm not going to talk for six or eight hours, um, before Jesus was actually crucified, what happened before that, and it's graphic, and so if you're a parent and you're thinking, not too sure about this with my kids, we do have child care tonight for kids up through age five. And so this would be the moment we have leaders who are ready to take them. So if you have any kids and, and they want to go to class, because it's a blast for kids anyway, this would be the time. So if we have any kids that are going to go into class, there's Teacher Terry. There go our kids. Love you guys. See you later. Bye, guys. Okay. So, okay. Well, you know me, I can't you know, hardly start any service without at least getting into Proverbs for a second. So today's the 29th, so here's a quick one out of Proverbs 29 for you. Verse 3. If you love wisdom, you will delight your parents. That's not specific to any age group. So if you love wisdom, you'll delight your parents. That's pretty much all of us, right? Yeah? Okay. So I want to um, talk about the few hours right before Jesus was on the cross. Six to eight hours was all, when, when I'm going to tell you happened, all this happened over the course of, from lunchtime till dinner time. I mean, only that time span, a whole bunch of things happened to our Lord. So here's, here's what happened. Before, before, before this all started, Jesus gathered all of his disciples together and he tells them, this is going to be a tough time and all of you all of you are going to fail me tonight. Every one of you. It's an amazing thing. 
and to be faithfully following him and not believe about yourself that you're going to fail your Lord. I'm sure they were going, not me. You know, even Peter said, not me. And so, um, but Jesus, of course, knew. And he said, you're all going to fail me. Why did he tell them that? I don't think he was thumping on them. I think he was just wanting them to know that in spite of their failures, he loved them. He loved them just like he loves you and me. And that's, that's I hear that he tells them they're all going to fail him and it encourages me. That's twisted, isn't it? <laughs> but it should encourage you. You guys have to loosen up. Okay, you're just going to have to loosen up. <laughs> so, um, so here's what happened to Jesus after he was arrested in the garden. First place he went was the high priest's palace. And uh, even before they, did the, they examined him, he was beaten up by the Jewish guards there. He was beaten by them. And Jesus allowed them to do that to him. Understand that he could have stopped them anywhere along the way here. He allowed them to beat him. Then, at the high priest's palace still, during and after his examination, they struck him in the face. They spit on him, they blindfolded him, and then they beat him some more. And the scripture says they beat him with the palms of their hands. I suppose that's because it hurt them less. It was easier on the people doing the hitting. And they blindfolded him. He wouldn't know where the strikes were coming from or who was doing it to him. And he let them do it. And then uh, the scene moves to the palace of Pontius Pilate. And um, Jesus was scourged. Now that was um, a savage experience. And it was, it was uh, traditionally done with a whip that had many tethers coming off. And on the ends of those tethers, they would tie bits of sharp stone or broken pottery. And they, when they would whip, of course, the strands would go across the back and embed, and then they would pull. So that there would be scrapes, and um, it would cause him to bleed. And Jesus let them do that. Pilate sends Jesus out to be crucified, and Jesus allowed him to cause them to do that to him. He allowed that. At the palace of, of, of Pontius Pilate, after the scourging, the Roman soldiers beat him a second time, this time with their hands and with a reed. And he let them do that to him. Then they pushed a crown of thorns onto his head. I hung this crown of thorns carefully with fishing wire, fishing line, and it stuck me. <laughs> And I didn't want to do it because my precious little fingers were getting poked by, I mean, it hurt. They shoved a crown of thorns that was way more savage than that one onto his head. And he let them do it. Finally, at Golgotha, on a hill outside of Jerusalem, Jesus is crucified, physically hung on a cross, and he lets them do that to him as well. Crucifixion was, um, it was... Not like the pictures where you see they look bad enough, but crucifixion was actually a form of torture and a form of execution. But it was by this time the Romans had really perfected the science. And it was an excruciating form of, of uh, execution. It was slow, it was agonizing. And if they wanted to, they could string it out and make it last a week or a number of hours. It was up to the people what they wanted to do. 
the victim would eventually uh, pass away from either cardiac arrest or suffocation, and sometimes both, I guess. And occasionally, when they would want to speed things up, the, the soldiers could cause the person to die sooner, and basically what they would do is they would break their legs. And with the legs broken, they could no longer hold themselves up, and their diaphragm, they would be unable to breathe, and so it would cause them to die sooner. While Jesus was on the cross, he spoke several times. And the four different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record the things Jesus said while he was on the cross. And, um, you know, I'm just a little bit weird about being analytical, and I look for patterns, and I see things, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, he's, he's in horrible distress. Even though he's allowing them to do this, he's still a man. He experiences all of the pain you and I experience, and... He decides to talk, to push past that pain, and he says some things. What could be so important? If you were only going to be there for a short period of time, what would you say? What kind of comments would you make? They've got to be pretty important ones, pretty important ones. So I took a look at them, and um, if, you, if you get those seven things that he said, he said made seven different comments that are recorded in the Gospels, um, and you place those comments that he made into the traditional order that we believe they occurred. There's a very interesting pattern that you might notice. If you put those comments in order, there's a pattern. And here's what that pattern suggests. The first one talks about his relationship to Father God. The second one talks about his relationship to the lost, to people who don't know him. The third comment talks about his relationship with family and friends. The fourth comment is a display of his emotions. The fifth comment is a reference to his physical needs. The sixth comment, he addresses the most important things, which are spiritual. And then in the seventh comment, which is closure, he demonstrates his faith and his trust in God. It's a very, very interesting pattern. I don't mean to be overly analytical about my Savior's pain, but it, but it, but it leaps out to me. And I thought it might be interesting for us to, to uh, see, look at those seven things with this, this information that I've just shared with you and uh, considering those patterns to see what the Holy Spirit might say to us about this. And instead of me just telling you what those seven things are and me telling you about this, um, um, Actually, Eric and I talked about what we might do a little different, and so tonight's going to be a little bit different. We prayed about this, and I've asked six different people to help us with these topics. So here's what I asked them to do. I uh, recruited these people who I trust to hear from the Holy Spirit and ask them, here's your saying. I want you to pray about this, and I want you in a, in a concise way to share what the Lord put on your heart about that comment that he made on the cross. So we're going to follow the sequence that these sayings were, 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 were given, and you're going to see that, we have, that, I've, that I've recruited people that are, this is broad spectrum. We have an equal mix of male and female, and our youngest is under 10, and our oldest is, I'm sure, senior. How's that for being wise and safe, right? <laughs> So we have a mix of genders and a broad range of ages. And I want to say this to you about this. I didn't ask children to participate because they're cute, although they are. 
I believe that young people sometimes can punch through all of the um, sophistication of adulthood. They punch right past that to crystal clear, simple, childlike truth. And I believe I am going to be hearing from the Holy Spirit from six different people without respect to age. I believe the Holy Spirit will speak through all of them. And um, so I encourage you to do this. It'll be hard for you not to be enamored with how cute these people are, right? Because they're cute. But I want you to just, just settle in your soul that the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to us. Because what Jesus said on the cross, believe me, is a big deal to the Spirit of God. Okay? And I'm just going to encourage you, because these are going to be brief. I'm just going to encourage you to uh, smile because these people are brave to come up here in front of you people, okay? I mean, you're kind of scary. <laughs> How am I doing? I'm warming you up by insulting you. That's, not, that's a good idea, right? So smile at them, but, but really let your heart be positioned to the place where um, you'll hear from the Holy Spirit. Now, a second aspect of this, uh, uh, of this next short part of our service is this. Each of the things that Jesus said have inspired Eric... Pastor Eric, who has written a very brief song for each one of them. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak in those moments too. In fact, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to just drive us through this evening tonight. So please keep your heart tender before we do that, So as we go. So I'm going to start this by inviting the first person, Mary Roberts. Mary's sitting where, oh, she's right here. And she's going to talk about the very first thing that, that uh, Jesus addressed, and that was his relationship with the Father. Come on up. Don't you dare trip. Let me help you out here. The age does it. Does it? Here, here's a microphone. Okay. Jesus, up here. Okay. <laughs> Jesus said... Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And that's Luke twenty three thirty four. And as I thought on this verse, I, you know, I asked God. I said, "What do you want me to say? What can I say?" And the thing that crossed my mind was one of the hardest things I ever had to do, and that was learn to pay tithes. I had a very definite concept of money; it was mine, and. Uh, I thought about all the times that Jesus had to go to the Father and say, Father, forgive her. She doesn't know what she's doing. She doesn't understand. Father, forgive her. And that was a whole lot of years because I accepted Jesus quite young. But, you know, Jesus died on that cross. He had a spike in each hand and a spike in his feet. The crown of thorns was jammed down on his head. This man, after flogging and being spit on and tortured, this man hung on the cross with great love in his heart. And what was his first thoughts? They were for the people. They were for you and I. He so loved. He so loved. Think about it. What would you think if you were in pain? The kind of pain that can kill you, literally. What would you think about He thought about, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.
Father, forgive them, for they know now what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know now what they do, that they may know your love, that they may be with us. Father, forgive next comment that Jesus made was a was a, in reference to his relationship to people who don't know him to the lost and Levi Williams right in front of me come on up Levi you ready okay give him a big smile now make him feel comfy there you go take over uh, the second thing Jesus said on the cross was Luke twenty three forty three, and that was truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise and what this like means to me, what I was praying about was salvation, and what that and what salvation means is that you accept Jesus into your heart and that you know that he's with you, and he's not just around you, he's inside of your heart, and nothing can take that away from you so and I'm going to ask you guys if you want to, if you want to, um, like, believe Jesus and ask him into your heart. Because if I can get up here and talk to you, yeah. you can just ask him into your heart. So, yeah. Are you done? Yeah. Well done, Levi. Um, if you've never opened your heart before, it's a real simple thing. You simply make a decision to transfer your trust from your abilities, from the things you do, from your plans or from other people. You place your trust instead in Jesus. In Jesus. The author and the finisher of our faith. The author of life. He proved he was the authority over life when he overcame death. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. That's what scripture says. If you want to open your heart to the Lord, let's just pray for a second. Close your eyes. Lord, um, speak to our hearts. If there's anyone here while our eyes are closed and you'd like to open your heart to the Lord, you just simply pray this prayer and I'll pray with you. And, and you don't have to do this out loud. You can do it quietly. Lord, we acknowledge that you did come because you love us and that outside of what you do for us, there is no way we can make, our, make ourselves right with, with God. So thank you for dying for us. We believe that you came and that you died for our sins and that you rose again from the dead. Lord, we transfer our trust to you. We open our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. to be with you is truly paradise just
blessed to be with you is truly paradise. Wherever you are, there is life. Wherever you are, there is life. Oh, to be with you. Just to be with you is truly paradise. I'm in paradise. I'm in paradise. I'm in that Jesus said was a reference to relationships with family and friends. And so I've asked a friend of mine, where's Whitney sitting? Oh, right here. Whitney and her dad are going to come up. Come on. Come on up. And um, this is Whitney. Everybody smile at Whitney. Say, hi, Whitney. Hi, Whitney. That's good. Okay. Are you going to read the verse? I'll read the verse. Okay. Help her out, Dad. All right. The next statement we come to, see if it's going to show up here on the wall. When Jesus saw his mother there, And the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. And once again, this is my daughter Whitney, and she had a story she wanted to share with you. I had one friend who became really rude to me, and then she didn't want to be my friend anymore. And I felt really sad, so I asked people if I could play with them, and they said they had too many people, or there could only be eight people in their game. And sometimes I asked them if I could be their friend, and they would all say no. So then I kept asking, and then when I found my friend that I've known for a long time, I played with her, and I felt very happy. Since Jesus died on the cross, we'll have a friend who will never leave us. Let's take a minute to find somebody beside you who you've never met. Say hi. Just be friendly. Wait. Break it down now.
that's great. <laughs> wow. So, Whitney, how old are you? Eight? Eight? Are you eight, honey? Yeah? Yeah. Do you remember those days on the playground when your heart would break because you... You do, honey? Oh, good. <laughs> and... Um, how, how tender of the Lord to remind us about something so important, family and friends and relationship, and I, I think our, our people are doing a great job so far. Now, after those first three comments, the patterns shift again, and we start seeing the three different aspects of humanity, um, our emotions, our physical, and our spiritual. Uh, and the first thing that uh, Jesus said had to do with emotions. His emotions began to be displayed. And... Um, I've asked my daughter, Rachel Goodat, to help me out with this. But, hey, honey, let me help you up here. Don't you dare fall down. She's, got, she's carrying my granddaughter, Gracie. Yeah. Was that a secret? <laughs> I hope not. Okay. I'm glad to hear that. So can I read this verse this time? Okay. So this verse, here's, here are the words of Jesus. Verse 40, uh, Matthew 27, 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi. Lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you can sense his emotions. I, I don't think it's a mistake that he asked the pregnant girl to talk about emotions. <laughs> <laughs> a little unfair. But I think we can all agree that we all have emotions. It's, it's sometimes we feel them stronger, and in this case it's a little bit more of an intense situation. Um, Good Friday is usually a time for me with pretty strong emotions to, to consider really what my Savior went through and really feel the grief of my sins for that and, and just gratitude for what he's done. Having and feeling emotions, we all do. They're not bad, having emotions. It's, it's actually um, the way God created us, whether they're good or bad emotions. The emotions can be like hope and relief and excitement, sympathy, attraction, alarm, or grief and disappointment and fear. But they serve a purpose in our life, and they give us a depth that um, no other creature really gets to experience. And it's really this point on the cross when Jesus gives us the opportunity to own our emotions and gives us permission to feel things and feel things passionately. Um, It's a great gift that he's released us into the freedom of our emotions. But there's a point where emotions also become burdens. And that's what I want to just focus on for a second, that when we become ruled by our emotions and let them direct our focus and and change the way we see the world and direct our actions, they burden us down. And, um, and I don't think that's what God has for us. When our emotions take over, um, it, it becomes, we're directed by the emotion instead of what the Lord has for us and what the Lord sees. And I, I can say that because I, I actually believe that the, what Jesus says here is, is extremely emotional. He's gone through all this significant pain and loss just gave up his family and friends to one another, and he knows the time's coming to an end, and he doesn't just say it once. He says, my God, my God. He's on the very edge, and he says it twice. He's not wasting a syllable here. It's extreme anguish, and and I think that this is the highest pressure situation you could be in, and he still is thinking of us. And Isaiah 53 says, it's our weakness he carried, and it's our sorrows that weighed him down. So when we take on the burden of emotion, 
we negate what he accomplished here. We forget about what he carried, our burden. We don't have to be burdened by the emotions. They're a gift, but they shouldn't change who we are, how we see the world. Um, so Eric's going to lead us in another course, and I, I want to take a second while he's doing that, and I want um, for you to have a, just a moment to consider, really, where are you burdened by emotions, and, and where would you need to surrender, surrender those to the Lord, because he's already carried the burden for you. My name is Tom Wanless, and um, the scripture I have is John 19:28. Later, knowing that everything had been now had been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, "I am thirsty." You don't think he said it quietly, do you? I mean, no one could hear him on the cross. He had to say it loud enough so that someone could hear him. Jesus didn't just thirst, though. He was hanging desperately on a cross. 
Because of his love for you and me, the night before in the garden he prayed, Father, if this cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. By hanging on the cross, he humiliated and defeated the enemy. When he wiped out the certificates of debt that the enemy held against us, by nailing them to the cross. And now, we like Paul, we can declare, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Notice that it doesn't say all your needs. It says every need. When God provides for your need, it's all-inclusive. Several years ago, my wife and I went through some financial struggles, and it was, it was difficult, but at that time, we, we just had three children. We have four now, but <laughs> at time, that time, we had three, and the youngest was, was about 10 months old. And It was a Saturday morning, and my wife was looking in the cupboard to see what we were going to fix for breakfast. We had one egg and some milk. About that time, we had a knock at the door, and there stood someone from our church, and he invited us to come out outside to his car, and he opened up his trunk. And he had been led by the Lord to go to the local stores and ask for their dented and damaged packaged products and uh, anything that was still safe to eat. He was able to get those things. And we were able to select the things that we needed for that moment and for the next few days. And we weren't the only ones that were blessed by that. Many other families were blessed by it as well. God knew our need, and he directed someone else to provide for it. If you have a need tonight, lift it before the Lord right now while I pray. Father, you know the need that is in this house tonight. You know the need of every person in this place. And Father, I thank you that you hear our prayers and that you are faithful to answer our prayers. So now, Lord, I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would dramatically provide for every need that your name would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.
I have is John 19:30. It says, "When he had received the drink, Jesus said, "It is finished." With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. <clears throat> I think there's so much power in the words, "It is finished." As Christians, we often live our lives not realizing how important these words are, and as if these words were never spoken. We live in a constant spiritual battle between our sin and our flesh, and we need to realize that that spiritual battle was finished on the cross. <clears throat> Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy. I came to fulfill. <clears throat> Christ fulfilled the old covenant on the cross that day. Um, so that we are no longer slaves to our flesh and that we can come boldly to his throne of grace. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the words that John used in the Greek, the word tetalistai, that means it is finished. This word was a word that was commonly used in this time <clears throat> to mean a debt that was paid in full. If you were to owe somebody something, they would stamp that on a receipt to say you've paid it in full and that you can go free. We need to realize that our debt of sin has been paid in full and that our spiritual battle has been won. The work of our Creator God on earth in flesh has been completed. His redemption plan finished. So today, let us remember the perfect sacrifice on the cross that has paid our debt in full so that we may come boldly to the throne of grace. It is finished It is finished Oh, the price has been paid once and for all. Now the gates are flung open wide. There is peace on the other side. My job is done and the price is paid. I have the the last comment that Jesus made, which was 
Luke 23, 46. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he said this, he breathed his last. Luke 23, 46. It's, it's amazing what's gone on here after this display of emotions and heartbreak and the physical strain. And, and he, you know, first he took care of business. Relationships was the first thing he took care of. And then he, then he addressed himself and, 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 and exposed all of those things that we heard so eloquently about. And then after all of that, his faith and his trust lands right where it needs to be. Father, into your hands, into your capable, your trusting, your faithful, your always there, even when I don't think so, hands. I'm going to put my spirit. That's what he's saying there. He's, he's the last two things he said, his spirit, he's, he's dealing with his spirit, and then he's dealing with his faith and his trust. It's a wonderful example of, the, the, it's a compass for us. When we're facing the things we face, to keep our focus on, on a direction. True north, the place, the, the, the angle that will get you to a safety, and that's what Jesus did there. And, and, the faith, and the amazing thing about all this, remember I was telling you all of the steps that happened, and he allowed this, and he allowed that, and he allowed this. They didn't kill him. He commanded his spirit to go. In fact, the um, guards were thinking, okay, it's going to be dark soon, and the Sabbath is coming, this... You know, not the Sabbath, and, and, and we've got to get this done with before. And so they had planned to go out and break his legs, and they got to him. He was already dead. It wasn't because he was a wimp. He didn't cave in because physically he couldn't handle it. It was finished. It was accomplished. No sense in hanging around here anymore. It was taken care of. It was done. To tell us die. Wouldn't it be nice if everybody to whom sends you a bill in the mail, I get bills in the mail, do you get them? If instead of sending you bills, they started sending you a notice and they said, to tell us I, pain in full. You can keep your money. We don't want your money anymore. You can keep, you can forget the debt. God doesn't want it and it's finished. Into your capable and loving hands, I will commend my spirit. He says that and then he commands his spirit to go. What a wonderful picture. Um, I, I think there's only one s- response that makes sense to us at this point, and it's a tradition on Good Friday, and that's communion. And um, um, I'm going to skip the next two slides and go to, the, go to Luke 22. So um, you might have to be patient for a second before they'll come up. But I'm going to start reading to you Luke uh, chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour had come, now this is backtracking now. He's, he's meeting with his, his, uh, his staff. He's meeting with his disciples and it's about time. He knows it's his last time to have them together. This is, about, this is at the time that we would know as the Last Supper. And um, so that's the re- frame of reference for where he is now. He says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So I'm going to call for the servers 
They're going to come and we're going to have um, just a touch of music while they pass out the elements. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to collect the elements and hold on to them and then we'll receive the elements as a group. Um, so take a piece of bread and take a cup and then when, when, when it's all passed out, we'll go ahead. a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth speaks righteousness for me stands at my defense Jesus it's your blood your blood speaks a better word all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth speaks righteousness for me, stands in my defense. Jesus, it's your blood. What can wash your of the Father's heart to make a way for us now boldly we approach not earthly confidence it's only by your blood what can wash Some denominations teach that when you receive communion, that the communion elements physically become the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. We don't teach that. We don't hold to that. Jesus wants us, though, to take him in. He wants us to take his fabric, his very being, into us. He wants us to be different because of what he, the price he paid for you and for me. And that bread that he, he, he broke a loaf of bread and shared it with his pals, just like this. This is a piece of bread that somebody lovingly tore up for you and for me tonight. I mean, it would have been easier to take a knife and slice it into cubes. But it wouldn't represent quite as closely as what a torn up piece of bread represented because Jesus' body was torn up and he did it for you and for me. 
we heard a scripture that by the Lord's broken body, by his stripes, we are healed. Now is the time as we receive this and as we remember Jesus for us to petition the Lord for your need. If you didn't participate in that prayer earlier that Tom led us in, there's another chance. So we're going to receive this element, but I encourage you to hold the, the, your need, your physical need before the Lord. In the name of Jesus, let me pray. Lord, God, thank you. It's just not enough to say the words. It's just not enough. But as best as we can in these moments, Lord, we recognize and with gratitude in our hearts, we make a choice to proclaim your gift to us. Thank you for allowing your body to be broken to bless us. Go ahead and receive the bread in Jesus' name. This cup, (laughs) I believe, represents the most precious substance ever in the universe, the blood of Jesus. Scripture teaches that, that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. It's the Old Testament way where every sin, and there was offerings and there were sacrifices to pay the price of sin. It's, we can be squeamish about the, about the topic, but the truth is that Jesus freely chose to become our sacrifice. What better and more effective sacrifice could there be than God? Not that we would ever require it of him, but that is a signal about the quantity of his love for you and for me. Just pray, Lord, thank you once again. You have made the impossible possible. Not commonplace, it's still precious. But you've made something that would be unreachable by us into a gift to be received by us. So we receive it from you now in Jesus' name. Go ahead and partake. Now as we sing the chorus to nothing but the blood. What can wash away our sins? What can make us whole again? Nothing but your blood. Nothing but your blood. Jesus. What can wash us pure as snow? What can wash us pure? 